You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of ST Times. Yes, as you've heard, I'm Dave Rubenstein. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, The topic of this conversation is going to be zero trust security. And joining me is Scott Rose. He works at NIST, uh, developing the standards for uh, zero trust. And we're very happy to be with him today. So let me just kick off the whole podcast right now with the first question. So one of the things that uh, I was curious to know is where did the concept of zero trust start? Well, it's it's kind of been around for a while. It just wasn't called that. Um, you can say like you know going back to you know, the early two thousands, um, even you know around that time, uh, this whole kind of move to what they call like you know, less reliance on what a, a perimeter. So you're not securing network segments, you're securing individual servers and hosts and endpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a, a project at DISA in the DOD called Black Core, um, which, you know, started some of that work where they kind of encrypted everything over their core network. Um, and so really only the endpoints knew what was going on. Uh, and then that kind of... Um, work kind of like started uh, going into the Jericho forum where they started calling it deperimeterization. Um, so again, you have the less reliance on the perimeter. Um, so, because once you get in the perimeter, everything's visible and you can go anywhere. Uh, that kind of then kind of went on and obviously that term didn't quite work. Uh, and then John Kindervog um, kind of laid out in some of his work, you know, the, and he's coined the term, you know, zero trust, and he kind of laid it out in his set of principles and rules. Um, and then that's kind of where, you know, zero trust, the term came to be, and then it's kind of been evolving ever since. Um, and so now it's kind of where, you know, where we are now is kind of getting popularity. I think he, he did it like over 10 years ago. So it's, it's been a while, but it's kind of gaining, you know, um, you know, uh, recognition in, in space now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Probably due to the massive number of hacks, yeah, and, uh, and data losses. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah obviously um, that's part of it. But also, I mean, just the whole um, architecture is moving away from you know everything centered in your enterprise data center. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have that anymore. You have stuff in cloud. You have people off, you know, um, teleworking or on travel, you know, trying to get back to their resources. Right. And traditionally, that was always you VPNed back into the corporate network and you did everything there. Um, well, now, if your corporate applications are in the cloud, why VPN into you know, a network infrastructure only to go out again? You know, they call right. it, let's call it the, the trombone. You know, that, that kind of whole thing, there's no single perimeter anymore. So, right. you know, instead of focusing on, you know, uh, you know uh, ver- or protecting networks, you're instead protecting individual resources. Yeah. Right. No, I get that. Is so uh, things like multi-factor authorization is that would that be considered part of a zero trust architecture? Yeah. Um, I mean, when it comes down to it, you know, zero trust. Think of it as a, really a set of principles. There's no. It's not a single architecture uh, right. because everything is so varied now. Um, mm-hmm. So it kind of comes down to um, you know, authenticating and authorizing every individual resource request, and that involves you know, multi-factor, uh, least privilege. Um, you know, it's not just the user, the network identity, you know, the user and the, mm-hmm. the device health issues, but also kind of like what's the network conditions. Um, it can even be based on behavior in the past or environmental factors. 
um, you know, common zero trust scenario that people trot out that's different than, you know, more legacy you know, perimeter based is you may see, um, you know, a bunch of resource requests from a certain network identity or certain user um, over a period of a day. And then suddenly, you know, five minutes later, you're getting a request from that same user in another country that's several time zones away. Well, you know, that person didn't go travel that far that quickly. Right. Um, you know, even if everything is valid, if the, you know, the credentials they, they use are valid, that's obviously, you know, that, the, the other factors say that's not true. There's coming from a different network segment that they can never reach. Um, so, you know, that, then that can be denied and all that. Um, so I mean, it's, 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 it's taking in a lot of information, both, uh, right. both on the user identity, the device health and, you know, and the kind of network factors, environmental factors. Sure. So all of that, I would think would rely heavily on AI, uh, for, uh, you know, somebody in that scenario where I logged in from New York and an hour later, somebody logged in from Japan with my same credentials, uh, the system would have to know that that is invalid. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting to that maturity, yes, uh, you're going to start seeing things like that, some sort of like either a machine learning thing that kind of like you know, flags this as like outside of the normal behavior model that they produced mm. for each individual network identity. Um, you know, but they're obviously you know that doesn't you know zero trust doesn't obviously require that. I mean, you can do things and take your steps towards a more zero trust posture. Um, you know, by doing a lot of different things. I mean, it doesn't have to be one central um, like AI system that's managing all requests. I mean, the idea of a kind of a, what we're calling the policy engine is kind of the brains. Um, there is the idea of having kind of a, a distributed policy engine, which is you know different parts are doing different roles. Um, they may not even communicate with each other, but at least they're doing their roles. Uh, and they're all working kind of jointly towards the, you know, to perform these kind of actions and, this, and provide this functionality. Right. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're seeing kind of the more maturity thing, the more kind of leading edge of a lot of the zero trust stuff. Um, they are bringing, you know, kind of like AI and machine learning to go to form these kind of behavioral patterns or perform this kind of analysis of, of traffic and things like that. Right. Well, we know that organizations are always looking to, you know, uh, adopt a lot of these things and the way they do it is like, good, hopefully somebody will sell me a tool and I could just put it in and that will solve my problem. Is that also the, well, I wouldn't say also the case, but it are, is some sort of a solution required or is it just simply how you decide to set up, you know, your architecture with the tools that you already have uh, without layering anything else on top of that? Uh, maybe. Um, it depends on what you have. I mean, it's one of those, like, you know, um, there are probably cases out there for enterprises, you know, businesses, federal agencies and all that. Um, they may have a lot of the tools in place. They're just not using it um, to configure to take advantage of all those features. Um, you know, and in some cases there, you know, there's maybe some sort of, you know, obviously some sort of component may be lacking. They may not have kind of a multi-factor um, thing that, you know, a component in there. And so they may have to you know, get that. But yeah, I mean, it just depends on what you have because really it's, it is the set of principles. It's not, and it's, you know, the opposite is true too. You could buy a bunch of tools that are labeled as, you know, zero trust mm -hmm. security tools, but if you don't configure them and use them the proper way, um, you're still, you know, you're still relying on your firewalls and you just have this tool running internally. You're not really taking full advantage of, of their features. So what would a full zero trust architecture look like? Well, um, you know, again, it, it all depends on what the workflow is. Um, but I mean, you're, you're, it would be one where um, 
you know, uh, both the endpoint is, is is checked and protected. Uh, the network identity is is authorized and authenticated um, before you know any kind of resource request um, is granted. And then those resource requests are then monitored continuously um, or continually, um, uh, saying you know, reevaluating, saying is this the same person? Is this the same? You know, same? Is the network condition changed or anything like that? Um, all that would be done ideally, um, uh, you know, underneath the under the hood, and so the actual end user won't even notice this. I mean, their whole role and the and the, the way they perform their usual workflow and whatever part of the business mission they're doing, mm. um, ideally won't change. Um, and you know, obviously, that's always nice to say. Um, and so, you know, they won't even notice, but you know, behind the scenes, all this will be going on and checks and all that. And so, you know, they 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 probably won't even you know have to do you know, constantly re-entering their password or PIN or thumbprint or whatever they're doing for the multi-factor. Um, but all that will be kind of done like, under the hood, and so hopefully they won't see that. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I've I've spoken to a bunch of people on this, uh, and one of the questions uh, that uh, one of the points that uh, somebody made to me was that sure if every organization went to a, a you know a zero trust profile uh, no work would ever get done uh, do you uh, do you agree with that i guess you don't agree with that assessment but uh, what they're saying is i guess it just would slow things down to the point of you know people would just get frustrated or companies wouldn't be able to you know do what they need to do it let's say if you want to you're using an outside component and it changes and now you have to go through a whole we don't trust it anymore and you know that that everything could grind to a halt. Uh, again, yeah, it depends on what you're doing, how you're doing it, what tools you're using. Um, I mean, there have been cases of, I mean, uh, maybe in an ideal world, I mean, with today's technology trying to do the full ideal, um, that may be very hard and it may be, you know, it may take forever because, you know, the endpoints of laptops and cell phones and things can't do all this work all the time. Um, and it need a massive data center just to handle all these requests and logging and all that. That you know probably true. Uh, but there are steps right now you can kind of take using zero trust principles to kind of improve your posture. Um, a lot of you know agencies have done it, companies have done it, um, you know, hospitals, you know, any kind of small medium businesses. They've taken these kind of steps to either you know micro segment their network, and it's, it's also kind of a, a zero trust approach. Adding multi-factor, you know, things that have kind of improved their security posture in incremental steps. Um, so, I mean, if you go from zero to 100 right off the bat, yeah, you're going to, you know, have a steep learning curve where things are going to go wrong. Right. Uh, but if you're taking these kind of uh, incremental steps, um, you know, what, which a lot of enterprises are doing, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're sometimes they're saying that things are even getting better because their security team doesn't have to constantly respond to all these you know, false flag, false events and things. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things I was curious to know is, so what is NIST's role or, uh, you know, relationship with all this uh, involvement, uh, I guess is what I'm looking for, uh, with Zero Trust? Um, well, um, it started out as kind of a request by the, the federal CIO council. Um, those are the CIOs of all the federal agencies. Mm -hmm. um, they were looking at zero trust uh, as kind of a, you know, a new architecture to kind of help federal agencies again, because we're moving to these more modern um, you know, IT infrastructures where you've got cloud, you've got uh, remote workers and things like that. Um, so they're thinking, you know, they've, they've been doing their own research and they said, you know, can zero trust help? Um, 
then the kind of NIST was kind of tasked to bring it you know, to, to produce kind of what we're calling kind of a conceptual framework. And that was the special publication 800-207. Mm. Um, and its main job is, is not to lay out kind of a, a single reference architecture. This is more kind of a conceptual framework to kind of help agencies primarily, because that is one of NIST's missions, yeah. um, but also, you know, anybody uh, to give a kind of a central you know, common set of terms when we say zero trust and zero trust architecture, zero trust enterprise, um, some kind of basic abstract uh, components, the, the functions kind of we call the abstract architecture, uh, you know, and, and kind of how it relates to existing kind of federal policies on cybersecurity, um, just kind of, you know, kind of provide these kind of tools to kind of provide a kind of a common understanding among agencies. So when right. they talk amongst themselves or plan, um, or when they start doing procurements, they kind of have kind of a common set of terms and goals and strategies that they can kind of use to at least, you know, understand each other when they start talking about uh, say, you know, zero trust and things like that. So right. that we all have a, have a common set of terms and that sort of thing. And that's what that document is. It's not, it's not meant to say this is the one true path that's saying here's the things that exist and kind of the models that we've seen. Um, you know, and, and various solutions will fit into these kind of models, and you can use these kind of terms to describe these models and, and be better understood when you're talking outside of the organization, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Could zero trust, uh, a zero trust architecture, uh, could that have perhaps prevented solar winds or colonial pipeline from happening? Uh, again, it depends on how it was implemented. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, in a total ideal world, um, you could have a part where, um, you know, even, you know, go, go, kind of go to the abstract, you, you know, for like supply chain security um, with the, you know, uh, with, if you're, if you had the right monitoring in place, you could have detected, you know, a certain software component that you had was making connections that are outside of, you know, what it needs to do to perform its job. Um, you know, that could set off a flag that said, wait a minute, you know, this is this is trying to access things that it should not have access to. It's unauthorized. Right. Um, that could you know raise a flag to security teams who can then investigate and hopefully you know, catch it before it, it goes on. I mean, a lot, there's a lot of monitoring and, and zero trust and that sort of thing. Right. Right. And so it, you know it turns turns the normal networking on its around and saying instead of you know end to end everywhere and you can connect to anything on the network. You should only connect to the things that you need to do, and you should be you, know, you should be denied uh, connecting them to anything else. Um, and so that sort of thing is that, and you've denied a log, and that that may lead to detection. You know, zero trust doesn't um, admits that you know one of the goals of zero trust is not to prevent all attacks because that you know is not always possible, but at least to detect and respond quicker, you know, and take it then to attacks. Right. Right. You know, I'm curious to know, I know this is probably a little bit far afield, but, you know, uh, perhaps you um, uh, you could uh, speak to this whole notion of ransomware, where people are shutting down systems and saying we will only release it, you know, when, when you pay us. Would something like Zero Trust be able to prevent something like that? Uh, again, you know, yeah. maybe, you know, uh, for sure. I mean, but it is, you know, just like any other kind of attack, a zero trust architecture may be able to um, detect and respond to that quicker. I mean, we have seen um, and have heard of cases uh, where uh, an organization had uh, kind of a, a micro um, segmented architecture where individual um, resources were kind of segmented away from the network. 
and had to pass you know, authentication and authorization checks before it accessed anything else on another network segment. Um, and they did have an instance of kind of a, an older variant that was detectable of, um, of a ransomware that was detected and, you know, and, and stopped before it could spread, mainly because notice that this machine that's, you know, does not have any business connecting to uh, you know, ICAMS resources and databases and things like that. It, it never supposed to do that in its normal day-to-day -day function. Suddenly started making these requests. And that was outside of the norm, you know, flags were raised and security was able to respond. Uh, so that sort of thing, you know, if that's in, in, the, in place at the right time, in the right places, and you have the right segmented network, um, you know, that, that could respond, the idea is that you would respond to the attack before it happened. You, you'd right. see these kind of anomalous behaviors and you would stop that lateral movement that's usually present in all these kind of attacks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the goal of Zero Trust. Yeah. So I know that, you know, Gartner has a magic quadrant for Zero Trust. Forrester did a wave on, on Zero Trust. What are these vendors actually offering? Is it primarily monitoring uh, more than anything else and, and alerting? Uh, or what, 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 are they, what do these packages involve? It runs the gamut, um, you know, just because because like, zero trust runs the gamut of you've got you know um, identity um, authorization and authentication, you've got device right. health and monitoring, you've got uh, uh, network monitoring, uh, you know, network solution based solutions, you've got cloud, um, and all these you know all the vendors kind of fit in these kind of various you know segments. You know, they all do you know kind of what they do, right. <laughs> so right. and they, they kind of focus on that kind of one aspect right. most of the time. Yeah. Right, so there's like that that uh, authentication and authorization piece, you know, which would be uh, an Active Directory or an OAuth or something like that. Then it has the network yeah. monitoring piece. Network monitoring is and, anybody uh, offering yeah. all of it, or they're all kind of segmented to to one? Most page? of it is, is, yeah, a lot of it is is, is segmented like that. Um, although there are you know, obviously these kind of partnerships form where you know some groups of vendors work better with others, and you know, they right. kind of integrate their tools better, especially you know, especially with cloud providers. Right. You know, they make it easier for to use that certain you know those those kind of cloud services with their tools and things like that. I mean, it's it's kind of it's all over the place. Uh, so does yeah. one segment zero trust vendor use zero trust to verify the other partner that it's working with? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it'd be, it'd be good, right? If they were true to, true to their game. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of how the well. It's all yeah. It's up to those business you know relationships. Right. So yeah, right. yeah. They you know, they work. You know they try to they try to make it, obviously they try to make it easier for all the pieces to work together, and that's their business. Um, you know, right. So that's that's kind of up to them. That's not. There's no standardized way of doing that, and that's not really kind of NIST purview to, to kind of right. approve or, or even examine those sort of things. No, know? certainly not. I was just yeah. uh, asking kind of uh, humorously slash hypothetically. Yeah. Um, but uh, so how long have you personally been looking at this issue? Uh, probably a little over two years now. Mm -hmm. um, before that, you know, we were always, um, at least my... Uh, personal research has always been in kind of network infrastructure and internet infrastructure, uh, core protocols, and things like that, and adding security to it, you know, DNS, mm -hmm. email, that sort of stuff. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you can, but I mean, it's kind of like, so we always these, just like, you know, the history of this kind of zero trust has always kind of been kicking around in one form or another with different emphases, you know, either on mm -hmm. identity or device, and kind of zero trust kind of lumps it under a single umbrella and kind of brings it all in as a set of principles. Right, right. 
All right. Well, I think that's uh, pretty much everything uh, that I need, Scott. I, I really appreciate your time. Okay. Uh, so thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Sure. No problem. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, that about wraps up this edition of What the Dev. Until next time, once again, I'm Dave Rubenstein. So long for now. 